Welcome to Staff Picks, the podcast for movie nerds by movie nerds. As always, I'm Mario Lanza, and I am your host on our journey through the movies out there that just need a little more love. And our movie today is a, a sort of an asterisk. It does not fit my typical rules on this show. People who know Staff Picks know I generally say a movie has to be at least 10 years old to have de- de- uh, have developed a reputation that it's maybe underloved or uh, underappreciated. This movie today is only three and a half years old, <laughs> so I'm kind of jumping the gun, and that is only because I can already tell this movie is underappreciated and underloved, and it really needs more love immediately, because I happen to think it's one of the funniest movies after the year 2000. So very high to talk about pop star, Never Stop, Never Stopping, the Lonely Island Vehicle for Andy Samberg from 2016. And my guest today is I am bringing on kind of a ringer today, someone who does podcasts for a living and someone who is a huge SNL nerd and historian. In fact, he hosts a podcast called SNL Nerds, so it happens to work out very great. So welcome to the show to talk about Popstar. He's a stand-up comedian in the New York area, Darren Patterson. Hey, how's it going, Mario? I am so excited to meet you. We have run in parallel worlds for so long. Yes, yes, we've been uh, in the same circles, in the same spheres, but now the two worlds are merging as one right here. It's a beautiful thing. The mega powers are colliding like Savage and Hogan. Oh, I I don't understand that reference, but I will I will go along with it. To 80s wrestling reference, but uh Oh, oh, Ma- oh Macho Man, Savage. Macho Man, yeah, okay. Savage and Hogan. Okay, okay, so I know I know him as Macho Man. I don't know him in, as Savage. I'm sorry. I know him more by his Christian name. I oh, uh, <laughs> God bless. <laughs> yeah. So uh, give people a little backstory on who you are and what you do, because I will just say off the top of this show, Darren's been doing an SNL podcast longer than I have. I have been doing one with my friend Mike Bloom and now my friend Joni Newman for a couple of years, but you've been doing it even longer. So give us your history. Uh, sure. Well, uh, my name's Darren Patterson. I'm a comedian from New York City. I live in New Jersey now with my wife and I do a podcast called I do a podcast called SNL Nerds with my buddy John Trumbull. Uh, basically, we break down uh, each new episode of Saturday Night Live. Um, you know, the show comes on Saturday night, so we record on Sunday afternoon. And, uh, and uh, the days where there's no new episode of Saturday Night Live, we'll talk about, uh, like, SNL movies or SNL uh, – we'll make up SNL lists, like our favorite hosts, our favorite cast members, our favorite musical guests. Um, and uh, we uh, – like, now since the – SNL has been off for a couple of weeks. We already put out an episode about the um, Hulu documentary "Too Funny to Fail," which was all about the you know short-lived Dana Carvey show mm. that happened on ABC. And uh, tomorrow we're we're recording an episode about the movie Groundhog's Day with uh, the great Bill Murray. I have a funny story about the Dana Carvey show, which has no bearing on this podcast whatsoever. No, hit me. <laughs> in in 1996, I was my senior year in college. I used to babysit these kids. And I'd go to their house after school and I'd look after them. And they all loved the Dana Carvey show because that was the year Dana Carvey show was out. 
Right. And it was only out for what, like six episodes? Yeah, they uh, ABC contracted it for like ten episodes. They shot, I think, only eight. They only aired seven. Like when they were supposed to show the eighth episode, they just canceled it and they showed a rerun of Coach instead. <laughs> so they didn't even show all full eight episodes. Well, yeah. What I was getting at is that these kids, they all love Dana Carvey show, and I remember seeing their yearbooks at the end of sixth grade. They were graduating from school, and they all put their favorite TV show. You get to list in their in their yearbook. They all put the Dana Carvey show. So it's a nice wow. little memorial to history that somebody's going to read through this yearbook and say, who the hell loved the Dana Carvey show as their favorite show? It just happened to be in that little window when they were graduating from school. Yeah, I mean, that's fantastic because, like, yeah, like I said, the Dana Carvey show was very short-lived. It only lasted, like, a month and a half, maybe two months before it got axed. It was one of those things where you had to be, like, a really, like, a serious comedy nerd to know about it. They actually, in, they, in the uh, documentary... They interviewed uh, Bill Hader, of all people, who knew about it when he was a kid. It was like, oh, yeah, I love that show. And, like, I recorded it because I knew it was just going to go off the air, like, immediately. Just <laughs> because it was, it was following home improvement, and the home improvement crowd was not ready for what Dana Carvey was giving them. <laughs> Nobody was, because everybody thought Dana Carvey was so sweet and cuddly and innocent. And yeah. that show was not. No, it was not. Uh, <laughs> I mean, we'll talk, we talk about it on the episode, but... Uh, Dana Carvey, he was the head of the he was the head of the show. But um, as far as the writers were, the head writer was Louis C.K. Uh, Charlie <laughs> Kaufman <laughs> was one of the writers on the show, and uh, Robert Smigel was a writer, and uh, Dino Stamatopoulos. All and uh, all these writers who have like kind of a twisted counterculture kind of version of comedy. And like uh, two of the main actors on the show who were part of the cast were uh, Stephen Carell and Steve Colbert. <laughs> yeah. So it was. Like, it should have worked kind of on paper, but the fact that it was on ABC and, like, it was just – that crowd wasn't ready for what they were, you know, putting down. Okay, yeah. So, again, nothing to do with Popstar, but that is my recommendation and Darren's as well. If you've never seen the Dana Carvey show, go track it down. Your your jaw will drop to see what they were trying to pull off on network TV in the mid-'90s. Yeah, like, um, all the episodes are actually up on Hulu if you, wanna, if you have Hulu, and they might be on YouTube. But they're definitely on Hulu. So, like, you watch the documentary and watch all eight episodes on Hulu. It's like it, they were way ahead of their time. And don't watch them at work. No, Lord, no. Don't, especially the first episode. Don't watch. You'll get called in HR real quick. You know, Darren, the one thing that I learned from the Dana Carvey show, and I still remember this after all these years, is that Mountain Dew looks like liquid sunshine. <laughs> what? Yeah, that. <laughs> They're biting the hand that feeds them there. Yeah. Holy moly. Yeah, people, people don't know what I'm talking about. The sponsor of the show is Mountain Dew, and they had a whole commercial on the show about how Mountain Dew looks like piss. Except Dana Carvey would dance around and never say piss, and the word they came up with was liquid sunshine. I know. there was the Mountain Dew was sponsoring the show, and they, were like, they had a sketch about how Mountain Dew looks like pee. Like, <laughs> don't do that. <laughs> Dudes are paying your bills, man. All right, so this is already determined. We need to do an SNL podcast at some time. <laughs> Let's do it. That, my, my schedule is nice and open. Okay, so we're going to talk about the elephant in the room here. A, SNL movies historically have never been good. I mean, there's only a couple good ones. But B, this really isn't an SNL movie. It's kind of an offshoot, but you, you kind of have to talk about it as if it is, correct? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's based off the Lonely, Lonely Island, who, you know, of course had a huge following when they were on SNL and um, they, then it came out. I mean, like, it's weird, like how I, all the, like the Lonely Island did well on SNL. 
like there's people love their shorts had a huge following but as far as their movies go they've never done very well like hot rod mm-hmm. or mcgruber like they just ne- they all kind of bombed and like this one kind of followed that and like and i'll i'll love oh you know truth time i will say this right here right now i didn't see this movie in the theaters which was a, a, a big mistake on my part i will admit but once i saw it on uh when it came out on video i was like oh this was way funnier than I thought it'd be. I messed, I messed up. I really should have seen it in the theater. Well, I wouldn't feel bad because nobody saw this movie in the theater. So you were quite in line with everybody else. To put this in perspective, this is one of the bigger flops of the past 15 years. This movie was a massive... I think they, they filmed it for $20, 25000000 million, and it made, what, six or something? Yeah, I mean, 20 25 that's pretty low. And it didn't even make back its money there and like i will we'll get into it but i watch this movie now and it's like no this this deserved way more than it got this was this is a legit hilarious movie yeah and this is something i have talked about on staff picks before and you may dispute me on this one because you're a comedy guy i don't think there have been very many funny movies after 2000 like i could count on my Hmm. hand like on two hands maybe like eight really funny movies in the past 20 years and this is one I would definitely put in there. I'm just going to throw out some other ones and feel free to agree or disagree. Borat, I think, is one of the funniest movies ever. Uh, agree. I love Walk Hard, the Dewey Cox story. Oh, yeah. my We should do that on our podcast because my buddy uh, John Trumbull loves that movie. He swears by it. Oh, yeah. That's, that's one of my funniest Staff Picks episodes. We did that one already on this show. And then I love uh, Horrible Bosses. That's one of my favorites. Okay. And we'll yeah. go back a little further. I love Bad Santa, which is technically after 2000. Uh, it's been a while since I've seen it, but I remember really liking it, yeah. And, like, there's only one or two other ones that I think are really outstanding. So it's like, like, that's the thing. I just think comedy has been especially weak since the year 2000. It's just everyone, they're trying to please everyone, so it's not really especially funny. But this this one, I would recommend to anybody. It is so GD funny. <laughs> It really, I mean, as far as comedies in Tuesday, I'll agree with you there. It has been a bit on the downslope. There has been a few exceptions like, um, you know, What We Do in the Shadows yes. or, um, you know, Black Dynamite or Tropic Thunder, where it's really pretty hilarious. But yeah, as far as, for the most part, comedies have been kind of waning a little bit in the 2000s. Okay, now let's talk, I want to talk about The Lonely Island a little bit. And I'm going to give a little history just for people, most people will know this, but not everyone will, that, you know, SNL is mostly known as the Tina Fey era, maybe after 2000 going on there. But to me, it will always be the Lonely Island era, because eventually Lonely Island came out with, uh, what was the first one? Uh, Lazy Sunday. Lazy Sunday, yeah, Lazy Sunday. And that was like the first giant video on YouTube. And then they did Dick in a Box, which was even bigger. Right. They did my personal favorite, Mother Lover. I like that one the most. Ooh. Oh, it's a deep cut. <laughs> yeah. And then Jack Sparrows. But my point is that SNL is mostly known as the Tina Fey era, but to me it's the Lonely Island era because Andy Sandberg and the Lonely Island guys injected a huge sense of youthful energy and just, uh, what's the right word here, edginess to that show that it hadn't had in a long time. Yeah, some kind of exuberant. Like, I still remember the first time I saw the um... – lazy sunday video i was at my friend's house and we were all just hanging out watching snl and then they they showed the uh lazy sunday video and we were all like yo this thing's hilarious because it had like cause, i mean i i know a lot about the lonely lonely island guys i'm like a big fan of their albums and stuff but like they have a, a genuine love for like 90s hip-hop and the fact that like the beat on lazy sunday actually sounds really good like it genuinely sounds like a really good 90s beat 
shows that they really love it. And it's, it's, it's very, and plus that, you know, Chronicles of not Chronic What Calls of Narnia. It's like so catchy and like it gets in your head. And like we were talking about that video for like for weeks after it came on. And then they did, um, you know, Jizz in My Pants. And then that was another one where it's got genuinely good beat. And they're talking about, you know, premature ejaculation. Like what's not to love? <laughs> yeah, that's uh, the thing with the Lonely Island songs in particular is that they're legitimately good songs. Yeah, I think that gets over- of- yeah, I think that gets overlooked. Yeah, I'm on a boat is a genuinely good song. It's all about being on a boat. <laughs> so that's my argument, and I know many people would disagree, is that that Andy Samberg era, the Lonely Island era, added such a adrenaline rush and a dose of hipness to SNL, youthful hipness, that hadn't been there, that I will always think that was the reason that era became so big. It's mostly because of that. Like, I... I I hate to hate to dig on Tina Fey, but I think Andy Samberg was far more uh, prevalent in that era. No, I Dick in a Box won a Grammy. Like, how can you re- you can't refute that? No, I totally agree with you. Like, and ever since they've been trying to do something like like ever since they left, like SNL's been trying to do kind of digital shorts that had that same kind of trending type of uh, thing that you know Dick in a Box and Lazy Sunday have, but they haven't really quite gotten there quite mm-hmm. yet. But like. Yeah, I mean, those digital shorts left a super serious impact on them. Yeah, I always say someday, like when you do these best of SNL DVDs or releases, someday they'll release the best of The Lonely Island, and it will be the funniest SNL DVD they've ever had because that stuff was so much better than most of the other stuff on the show. Yeah, I still get a kick out of Ross Trent (laughs) and and, and whatnot. I, I feel horrible, Darren, that I have not mentioned Jack Sparrow as one of my favorites. Oh, the Jack Sparrow. Yeah, and they had Michael Bolton in it. They kind of made Michael Bolton cool for a little bit. Yes. So this is the legacy of the Lonely Island, these three guys. It's really three. Everyone thought it was Andy Samberg, but it's three guys that came in and took over SNL and really made it into a show that was far more edgy and hip than it really should have been for a while. And they've been trying to recapture that ever since. It's never happened. But as Darren said, the solo projects outside of SNL have never really been as big as hits, and they should be. It's kind of inexplicable why they're not. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I still, do, I still don't know why this movie would – I mean, I might be part of the problem because I didn't see it in the theaters. But still, like, it, there should have been tons more people, you know, it, there watching the movie in my place. Yeah. Uh, so Pop Star is the story. We're going to get into the plot here in a moment. It's the story of a – singing legend named connor what is his last name i always forget his last name uh Con- he goes by connor for real i don't think they ever said his last oh, name. oh they do at the start his his real last name is f-r-i-e-l freel so connor for real is just a play on his real name i didn't even catch that holy hell <laughs> so so this movie wow, is, yeah, right. it's about the rise and fall of connor freel and it's really shot in a musical documentary style yeah, like uh, a la um, Spinal Tap. Yeah, exactly. Spinal Tap, a little faster pace than Spinal Tap. Spinal Tap's very dry. And right. Darren and I were talking before this podcast about this movie, how insanely fast the jokes come flying at you. It's it's really hard to keep up. My notes for this episode are so extensive because there's so many lines I had to write down. Yeah, like you really got to be on your toes when you're watching this movie because like, like as you're laughing at one joke, like five of the jokes just zip by. Yeah. While you're laughing. <laughs> okay. So we're going to get into it in a minute. And this this will probably be an explicit podcast. I'm warning you ahead of time. Just when you knowing the subject yeah. matter, this is a exceptionally dirty movie. Put the kids to bed, people. <laughs> yes. All the kids <laughs> staying up late to listen to staff picks. 
<laughs> well, make sure you turn off before we get to the F off song that's been on one of the deleted scenes, my favorite song in the movie. Uh, oh, all right. Okay, so, uh, and one other thing I wanted to say is that I, in particular, have said before, I don't generally like Judd Apatow movies that much. But this is a Judd Apatow produced movie, and it's hilarious. So I will totally tip my cap that this one is amazing, and I give him credit for it. Well, far out. All right, so are you all ready to delve into the legend of Connor for real? I was born ready. <laughs> as soon as I was born, I knew I'd be dope. All right, so, so this movie, again, it's a musical documentary, and the cameos, that's the other thing I have to mention, the first time I saw this movie, what jumped out, is all the cameos they got for this movie. Dude, so many cameos, like, I, I watched this for, like, the second or third time, and, like, there are cameos I missed the first time, I'm like, oh, Widal Yankovic is in this, all right, I better write that down. Yeah. Ringo, Ringo Starr is the one my wife and I just cracked up at, like, how the hell did they get Ringo to be in this? I don't know. They, they got pull, I guess. <laughs> is Ringo a big fan of Dick in a Box? Or are we missing something? <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> Who knows what he likes? He's, a, he's an enigma. Cut the hole in the box. <laughs> All right. So, so the movie starts, and it's the story of really three people. There was a music group called the Style Boys, and they're back in the 90s. And it's the story of... Uh, now, who are the three Lonely Island guys' names? I always remember Andy Samberg. I swear to God, I can write down the other two guys' names, and I forget them every time. It's uh, Akiva Schaefer and Yorma Tacone. Okay. And I feel horrible that I forget those. No, it makes sense. That's fine, because like, they're both, like, when they all were on SNL, they were, like, writing, you know, behind the scenes when Andy was on. I actually I didn't even know about them until the Jizz in a Box video when they, they were in there. I was like, oh, who are those two guys that Andy's rhyming with? And then I find out, oh, these are Andy's old friends that he's known since, like, high school or something. <laughs> that is a uh, number 10 reason how Jizz in, the bo or Jizz in My Pants changed the world, right there. Yes, <laughs> Jizz in a Box. Sorry, I'm getting my jizz mixed up, sorry. It's... Yeah. Oh, I, ew! <laughs> <laughs> don't cross the don't cross the jizz it's now a ghostbusters porn reference <laughs> <laughs> Gravy. it's going up it's going off the rails already okay so it's the style boy so the uh it was there was three of them back in the 90s there was yeah it's very like a very beastie boys type of vibe yeah okay yeah very beastie boys ish and their names are kid connor and then kid contact and kid brain for some reason, those were their name. They made up the Style Boys, and they were like a big deal back in the 90s. Right. They had uh, that one-hit karate guy. <laughs> yeah! That's only their second hit, though. Do you remember their first hit? Uh, Well, there was Me Likey That, and of course, the Donkey Roll. Yeah, I, I don't know the name of this one. I just know the lyrics. We hear in the movie, one of their, their very first song is the Style Boys back in the 90s, which involved the lyrics, Whip out your nuts and shut the fuck up. Oh, right. <laughs> Which, I believe that's based on a Celine Dion song. I, believe, I think it's a B-side, yeah. <laughs> so this is the story, and it's told in retrospect. We meet uh, Andy Samberg, Connor for real, and he's talking about his history, how you know he started, I was a prodigy as a child. We see him as a drummer, and he's like a, an amazing drummer at like three months old. Yeah, I mean, that's a playoff of the Justin Bieber uh, video where he's playing – Bieber's playing at like five or something. <laughs> and then he goes right from there. We yada yada over many years. And he's like, and then, then we were the style boys. <laughs> so <Right. laughs> he, he and his two best friends are now the style boys. Yeah. And they, uh, <laughs> anything to say about this part? Uh, no, I mean, it was just pretty dope. I mean, you can see like the genuine friendship. I mean, I think a lot of it 
came from their actual friendship, you know, Akiva, Yorma, and Andy, and then they just played, like, that friendship that they genuinely have kind of carried over until to the three of them being these, uh, the style boys, just talking about girls and weed and getting drunk. Very, very early Beastie Boys. <laughs> and we should point out the cameos here. Right at the start of the movie, we get interviews, and these are real interviews with, first we get Quest Love, then we get Carrie Underwood, and then we get Usher, all talking about how the Style Boys changed their lives. They were like the greatest thing ever. And then Usher points out that Connor was the star. You could just see he was going to be the standout. Yeah, and they also had like Nas was in there talking about, oh, the Style Boys changed my life, yo. And like, uh, there's also, like you said, Ringo Starr, Simon Cowell makes an appearance. Like, how'd they get all these stars to talk about the Style Boys? <laughs> yeah, how how was the budget only $25 million on this movie with all the cameos they had to pay for? They called in a lot of favors. They must have had to do that. Okay, so so they start out as this threesome, and then Connor ends up being the lead. And I'll point out that there was a dynamic, like a pyramid here, where Kid Connor, that's got Connor for real. He was the charisma of the group. And then Kid Contact was the beat. He wrote all the beats. And then Kid Brain, he was the one that did all the lyrics. So together, they were very powerful. But then the one who had all the charisma eventually broke out and became the, the standout star. Yeah, as it happens in most bands. Exactly. That happened in my band. Oh, really? Oh, you, you broke out and became like the big... <laughs> exactly. Became con- Mario for real? Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't like to brag about it, but yeah, that was my, my story. But <laughs> <laughs> that, was your, that was your journey. Exactly. That was my origin story. <laughs> so Connor becomes bigger than the group. This is uh, Andy Samberg. And we get to the, the section of the movie where, you know, he's bigger than the group. He's getting all the magazine photos, all the advertisements. He becomes the spokesperson for white butt jeans. Oh, right. Wow. I, I totally didn't. I didn't write that down. Yeah. Yes. And white butt jeans, I should point out again, we're going right for the explicit rating on this podcast, were the jeans that have slogans written across the back or front. One of them where it says exit only on the butt or the other <laughs> the other jeans that say jizz factory right across the front. How else will people know if you don't if you don't write it down for them? Yeah. How will they know? Exactly. <laughs> So then Connor goes solo and the other two fade to the background. One of them becomes like his beat man. And then Lawrence kid brain be- drops out of business and becomes a hermit. Right. He becomes a farmer and he just gets out of the business altogether. And then uh, Owen, AKA kid contact becomes Connor's DJ. Yes. Although one of my favorite lines in the movie, and I have to watch, I have to watch this remove or rewatch this movie to remember this part where their original DJ from the style boys, DJ Francis, do you remember his fate? What happens? Oh, uh, yeah, he went to uh, hunt dolphins, right? Yes, he, he moved to Japan to hunt dolphins like a dickhead. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and we're five minutes in the movie at this point. Yeah, five minutes into the movie. We've already got a couple inappropriate parts. So, Connor For Real, this is um, Andy Samberg's new stage name. He becomes Connor For Real, and he's just like this huge celebrity. And he puts out his first album, and I love this. His first album is called Thriller, Also. Yeah, and that was a really quick joke that, like, you had to really catch it. Because, like, they just showed it to you, and they didn't comment on it. And then you just, he was like, oh, he named his album Thriller also. (laughs) And so Connor is famous for these pop hits. He's got catchphrases. He's got slogans. And he's also a social media star. 
Now, yeah, that, that's the, I always forget about that. He does like what, what are the things he like every mundane thing he does, he shares with his audience. Yeah, it's like basically like Justin Bieber, where Bieber puts out videos like, yo, I'm brushing my teeth, yo, it's crazy. And there's one point where it's like, yo, and he's in bed and the cover's over him. He's like, yo, I just beat off. I'm feeling really mellow now. It's crazy, man. <laughs> like like every mundane thing people just love, which is something that happens in with pop stars now. Yeah, and then we get an actual cameo from 50 Cent here. It says, Connor's honest, maybe too honest. And that's right after Connor saying, yo, I just jacked it. Yeah. <laughs> and then Connor also has a hashtag, which is doink to doink, which is one of his catchphrases we'll hear later. But I have to point out we have a cameo here of Ringo, Ringo Starr, the Beatle, quoting doink to doink, saying it's an amazing hashtag. <laughs> wow. I mean, I mean, what else is there to say? Okay. And here we go. Connor. Now, Connor is not the most likable of characters, would you say, Darren? Uh, yeah, he's, he's, he's definitely getting caught up in uh, showbiz and being surrounded by yes-men and whatnot. <laughs> yes, including his first song, the first song we hear out of the word, mouth of Connor for real, which is called I'm So Humble, which talks about how amazing he is. Yeah, but he's like saying it's very humble. It's, 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 he's, he's bragging about being humble. Which is, and this song is actually, again, a genuinely good song. I love the beat. I think the beat is fire. It has like a, it has like that kind of sha-na-na kind of, you know, I think they take, it's kind of like, sounds like that song, Get a Job from the Silhouettes, but it has like, yip, 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 yip. It's a catchy beat. I really dig it. It's the thing about me that's so impressive is how frequently I mention all of my successes. I poo-poo it when girls say that I should model. My belly's full from all the pride I swallow. I'm the most courteous, biddable, hospitable, reverential, normal Larry Arnold Schwarzenegger. I hate compliments. Put them in the mortuary. I'm so ordinary that it's truly quite extraordinary. Yes. So, and this is where, again, there's so many quotes in this movie. It's astounding. Here's one that I just wrote down today when he talks about Connor and how much his fans love him, because this is the thing with Connor. His fans adore him. And he says, my songs are love letters and the arena is our bedroom. The stage is where we fuck. <laughs> I, like people just watch this movie. If that doesn't make you laugh, I don't know what to tell you although then they get this is a great where connor's talking about how humble he is he's the most humble pop star ever and we immediately cut to a cameo from mariah carey who says she relates to that because she's the most humble person yeah i get another cameo this like this movie's so full of cameos it's bonkers like how'd they get mariah for this yeah and mariah shows up later there's a part where mariah gets into a fight with a guy on stage yeah oh we'll talk about that so Connor is the biggest thing ever, the biggest celebrity, and his first album, Thriller, also was a big hit. So now we get to the crux of this movie as he prepares for his second album, which he has determined is going to be the greatest album of all time. Yes, it's called a Conquest, and it's like he has. He said he has like he hired like hundreds of producers for like seventeen tracks. Like he's doing everything he can to make sure this is like the biggest hit. 
Yeah, and this is, again, this is the meat of the movie, him preparing for this uh, album, his follow-up album. And, and like Darren said, he's got 100 producers. He's got yeah. his manager, Tim Meadows, his publicist, Sarah Silverman. And he's got a whole posse of yes-men that will do anything he says and agree with him and say he's the greatest thing ever. Now, who are, who are some of their yes-men? I know he's got some awesome yes-men on his payroll here. Uh, I didn't write them all. I know he had, like, a, a blunt roller and someone to carry his blunts. But like one one I wrote down I like was a perspective manipulator, and they're like, oh who's that? Oh well, it's somebody who Connor hires who's shorter than him to make Connor look taller, and like they had the perspective manipulator come out, and it's like it's Danny Strong who's like this big who's like a writer on the show Empire, and he's written Lee Daniels the Butler. <laughs> some let's see some of the other yes men we have the guy who punches Connor in the nuts. Yes, to keep him humble. To keep him humble. Yes. Somebody will just walk up and punch him in the nuts. And we have a turtle handler who, uh, this is uh, Connor's best friend in the world, his little tortoise, Maximus. So we have one person just to handle the tortoise. Right. I think that's also based on Justin Bieber's thing. I think Bieber had like a pet monkey at the time <laughs> who he's very close with. So they're just like, oh, let's do that, but with the tortoise. <laughs> Now, the tortoise is like the one thing that keeps him grounded. And this will come back later, so remember the tortoise. Maximus is a major character here. Do not forget the tortoise. Okay, so there's lots of pressure on Connor for the second album. He knows he has to top the first one. He, like, wrote every one of the songs himself. He didn't even use his DJ Owen. He took all of his beats. He's like, I'm not going to use them. I'll use my own. So his buddy Owen basically just has to sit in the back and play around on his iPod during the concert. Oh, right. Yeah, they showed that where, like, they showed, like, a behind-the-scenes thing where Owen was like, oh, yeah, this is what I do for the show. This is, like, my keyboard. It's an original. This is, like, my beat machine. And it's like, oh, wow, you use all this for, you know, Connor's show? It's like, oh, no, for Connor's show, I just use this. And he pulls, like, a like a, like a a first-generation iPod out of nowhere. It's like, oh, yeah, you know, holds all the songs for the show. It's pretty sick. And also has some audio books on there. It's pretty dope. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and here we go into the songs. And I think most people would agree the songs on this movie are the thing that will stand out and again they're all great songs they're legitimately good songs but they're hilarious and quite offensive every one of them oh you're talking about equal rights equal rights let's why don't you explain to people who have never seen this movie what equal rights is well the song equal rights it's uh, basically a song promoting you know gay rights gay love gay marriage it's sort of based on uh macklemore's song same love that came out like earlier that year that year or a couple years before that and the song is talking about how he you know he wants equal rights and how gay people should have the right to get married but he, he also interjects ever so subtly that he's not gay <laughs> yes like every other line like I'm, I'm not gay like but gay people should have the right to get married i'm not gay like i love I love girls i love I love hot wings and football. <laughs> As I'm laying in bed banging these 20 beautiful women, I'm thinking that gay people should could have equal rights. I'm not gay. <laughs> it's like it's like a Kevin Nealon's Mr. Subliminal a little bit in song form. Oh, exactly. Yeah. And Pink. And Pink is in the song. Pink comes out and sings the song. Right. Yeah. <laughs> she, she's like, oh, yeah. Uh, you know, I'm not gay, but it's cool if you're gay. You should get married, but I'm not gay. Just want everybody to know I'm not gay. I, I like Leonard Skinner. <laughs> and monster trucks now my wife loves the song and she's like i'm always kind of hit or miss on andy samberg but she loves this movie and this song in particular she loves because the i'm straight interjections are so random the one that always gets her is sports and she just he just says i'm not gay sports <laughs> on behalf of them i feel passionate not gay so i 
pray for them and I say for them we need to make a change not gay I see it clear as day this area is not great titties we need equality and for all to see that this is the new way and not gay it just seems not gay wrong not gay that no one seems to care sports we can't continue to pretend <laughs> I'm not gay hot wing I love gay big boob and like at the very end he just repeats I'm not gay I'm not gay I'm not I'm not not gay I'm not gay like all he's saying is no, I'm not gay over and over again <laughs> He just breaks it down to that. It's hilarious. Now, what's funny is I don't know Macklemore. I've heard many times this is a parody of a Macklemore song. I don't know Macklemore, so I don't, I've never even seen the source material this is parodying. But even, I think it's hilarious regardless, so it doesn't even matter. Yeah, like if you listen to Macklemore, the song is called Same Love, and he's promoting, you know, gay rights and, you know, gay marriage and how it's, it's totally fine. But, like, at the same time, if you listen to the song, there's a few lines in there where he says, oh, I thought I was gay, like, you know, or like I'm a huge fan of hip hop, and if you listen to hip hop, like you know, there's a kind of an anti-gay thing in hip hop. But you know, like I'm not gay. It's, it it kind of comes across like him saying I'm not gay, but it's cool if you're gay type of thing. And so it, it seems like they just played off that and upped it. <laughs> yeah. So you know, just I'm not gay. I'm not gay, but I'm, it's cool if you're gay and gay married. People should get married, but I'm not gay. Titties. Yes, titties, wings, Leonard Skinner, kickboxing predator. <laughs> yeah, nunchucks. <laughs> So, yeah, if you, you if you haven't seen this movie, just go Google uh, Connor for Real Equal Rights. It's a great song, hilarious video, although it's capped off at the at the end by my favorite personal cameo in this movie, the Ringo star, where, where Ringo says, he's writing this song for gay marriage like it's not allowed. It's allowed now. <laughs> it's a nice capper. It's a nice capper. So Connor for Real's first big song off his second album comes out, and the next morning he gets on, gets up, and wakes up and reads online because he wants to read the reviews. And Darren, the reviews are not especially strong for this song. Yeah, I believe uh, Rolling Stone gave it a, a poo emoji. The the shit emoji, to be clarified. Yeah. They... Uh, yes. Yeah. I, I was trying. I was trying to be clean for the kids. There's the children listening. Pitchfork Magazine gave it negative four out of ten. Rolling Stone gave it, out of four possible stars, they gave it the shit emoji. Yeah, and it's like, oh, that must be a mistake. But then he reads it, it's like, oh, no, actually, that's actually accurate, depending on what I'm reading here now. Yeah. And here's another great line. He's like, oh, and here's a good review. Conquest, a triumph. He's like, that was written in The Onion. (laughs) So let's call it mixed. We'll call it mixed reviews. We'll just leave it at mixed. So Connor's second album is off to a rocky start. And this is where we learn the backstory about how he became famous, why he's a big deal. And this becomes a very important plot point in the movie, the catchphrase verse. Right. They mentioned that because this is a song. He had like a verse with a pop star who an uncredited, uh, uncredited uh, Emma Stone just shows up in this movie. And uh, I think the song was called Turn Up the Beef. And so, like, every rapper now has, like, a catchphrase that they put in their songs, which is something I've noticed quite a bit, where everybody, you know, Maybach music or, you know, O-Kur, Kur, like, a, you know, Cardi B's catchphrase. Mm-hmm. So what Connor wanted to do is he wanted to have his verse be nothing but catchphrases. <laughs> and apparently that put him over the top and like he became a big star off of that. Yeah, let's talk about this cuz I love this scene. Yeah, the so he realizes that every song needs a catchphrase, but what if a song was just all catchphrases? Yeah. <laughs> I, I wrote down every single one of them because I go above and beyond for my listeners. Wow. I I, I there were so many. I didn't I, I didn't even bother. I was like this is 
insane. But yeah, I'll, please have at it. If you will turn it over to me, I will quote every single catchphrase that he puts in his catchphrase song. They are say word, Dilbert, doink to doink, sorry dad, dinky nuts, squirrel jam, hats, Zerbert in the Sherbert. That's my favorite. <laughs> Squark, 100 gift baskets, DJ Tanner, swanky pumps. <laughs> Here we go. We're almost done. Mama, 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 moped music. C- Costco samples like a motherfucker. <laughs> then one is just, uh. <laughs> and then there's a, oh, what is this? I didn't write it down. Crank up the mids. I think that's what it says. And then the last one is Patrick Stewart money. <laughs> so that's his song. I mean, that's just gibberish. The whole thing is just gibberish, and it's hilarious. <laughs> to this day, I still love to just randomly say, DJ Tanner. <laughs> Dinky nuts. None of that makes sense, but it's hilarious. But you could kind of see that making sense. You could see that being a thing. Well, I also liked how like DJ Ka- they had DJ Khaled in his thing, and like him commenting, is like, yo, that changed the game. That's because when you have a catchphrase, the world is catched by your phrases. But yeah, so many, so much of this movie is like a uh, parody of like the whole music culture, rap culture in general, and just the idea that everybody has a catchphrase, and now he just decides, what if I use every catchphrase in one song? Then that will be the biggest hit. So, so you can see he's not really, he's not really of the right mindset how to make this album a hit. He's just, it's all excess. Costco samples like a motherfucker. Okay, now we catch up on the third member of the Style Boys. Again, we have Connor, who's the lead now. He's just a solo artist. His buddy Owen's the backup. Now we catch up with the third one, Lawrence, who was the brains behind the group. And he is like an angry hermit who lives on a farm now. Yeah, he's like a farmer now. He's very bitter that, you know, he didn't get the recognition he deserved for, you know, writing a lot, a lot, of, a lot of the uh, Style Boys stuff. So he just kind of... You know, he, he says, oh, no, I'm fine. I'm over it. I didn't want any of that. But like you can see, he's he's still seething with rage. And he has some of the best lines in this movie. And they're ones you have to kind of think about for a second. Because, again, they're not. He's very deadpan. And he does woodworking now. And all this whole, there's a whole scene here of him showing off all his woodworking creations. But they're all terrible. <laughs> they, 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 not, they look nothing like they're what they're supposed to. Yeah, like one thing he made was like an award he was supposed to get, the pop award. But he made out of wood. Yeah, I like the mask. He holds up a mask, which is literally just a sheet of wood with two holes in it. <laughs> he puts it up over his face, and he puts it down, and he's like, it's still me. <laughs> it's, it's pretty hilarious. Yeah. But he's got a great quote here. This is a quote my friend begged me to put in this episode, where Lawrence is talking about when the Style Boys broke up, how they were nothing anymore. And he says, we were like a tricycle. Take one of the wheels away, and what do you got? Nothing. Then he pauses for a second. He's like, a bicycle. Don't use that. Don't use that quote. <laughs> <laughs> like, don't, yeah, don't, don't, uh, yo, you do get a bike. Yeah. I forgot about that. So here we go to the quick downfall of Connor for real, who is going to crash and burn very hard. That with his new album, despite the fact that it's all excessive and he has terrible shit reviews for his first song, he has decided to do a tie-in with his new album, the Aquaspin tie-in, which makes me laugh every time. So explain the Aquaspin to people. So basically, I guess this was like a play on the whole YouTube debacle where YouTube just puts an album out on iTunes, like without people asking for it. 
as this is like a kind of I guess it was like a play on that where um they took talk to the aqua spin people who basically they work they sell appliances you know tea, uh stoves and refrigerators and uh, the aqua spin executive is Maya Rudolph and so they want to have uh Connor's album in all of the aqua spin appliances so like as soon as you open a refrigerator door you hear Connor's music playing out of it and like that's that's how they're going to get this album out to everybody, which is insane. Yeah, there's a couple really funny lines in this one. They, they go by so fast you have to catch them. And I am not going to quote the N-word joke, but <laughs> perhaps if you... Oh, yeah. I, I, I heard that. I was like, whoa. How did I miss that the first time? Feel free. If you if you would like to explain that one, I'm not going to touch it. Uh, I don't know if I should touch it. <laughs> okay, well, yeah, there's a conversation between the black guy in, in Connor's posse and Maya Rudolph, and he uses the N-word, and then she uses the N-word with a hard R, and they both comment. You hear, you hear a little background. Someone says, oh, with a hard R, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're going to, all right. And I, I also like that one line where she said, oh, thanks, Deborah," And she says, she corrects him. It's like, oh, it's actually pronounced Deborah. And then Connor's like, oh, that's a very interesting. What I didn't know. What are the origins of that? And she's like, oh, I believe the origins are Deborah. <laughs> yeah, that that that's the line. I'm glad you quoted that. That's such a deadpan line. <laughs> but yeah, but yeah. So Connor has set it up so every single major appliance in America or in the world really is going to play his music on the on the album release date, which is a horrible idea. Yeah, and actually. Well, actually, as they're leaving the uh, the meeting, he actually said this one thing that really kind of kind of hit me. Where Owen was like saying to Connor, "Like, is this? You think this is cool that we're doing this? That's kind of whack, isn't it?" But uh, Connor's like, "No, this is great. Like, I mean, there's no such thing as selling out anymore. Like, in this world, like, if you're not selling out, people were wondering, like, will be worried that no one asked you to sell out. Which that's actually honestly something I've been thinking about, like, in this new, you know." music climate now because like when i grew up being a sellout was like the worst thing you could do like putting your music in commercials or anything like that was like seen as lame but like now like pop stars and hip-hop stars they just kind of do it it's like a given now to do it. it's like not even it's not even except it's more than acceptable it's like a given you're gonna be sell out your music to like a, a commercial announcement which so when I saw this in a, when I heard him say that in this movie, I was like, oh yes, I thought so too. Yeah, huh. it's interesting you bring that up because I I'm going to take on a little tangent here. Do you know who Bill Simmons is? Uh, Bill Simmons. That sounds familiar, but I don't pop think... culture. He's a pop culture writer. He does podcasts and stuff. He he did a podcast a while back with Nathan Fielder from Nathan for You. Have you ever seen Nathan for You? I have. I enjoy. It quite much okay yeah so bill simmons and nathan fielder are talking about pop culture and the world of comedy and all this stuff and like the culture of comedy today and i think it was bill simmons who brought up that they did a study recently that millennials people that are younger than age like 25 26 or whatever younger than 30 don't understand the concept of selling out anymore it doesn't really register with them wow because among a certain generation, the goal is to create something, to get it licensed, to get it paid, to get someone to pay for your podcast, to get ads. And so, like, there's no mindset that you could sell out. That's such a foreign mindset to younger people because the goal is to sell out. Jesus. Wow, that's that's very depressing. It's very deep. And Nathan Fielder agreed with that 100%. He's like, that's absolutely true. It's like, it's a whole different mindset on how you produce things nowadays. Yeah, I mean, I also think it's because, like, in today's music world, because no one really buys music that much anymore, like, people, like, either, you know, stream it or download it for free on some site or whatever. So, or, you know, Spotify or whatever streaming site, no one really, you can't really make as much music, as much money 
in music anymore. So like a musician kind of has to find other ways of earning revenue, like either touring or licensing their music for commercials or movies or, you know, getting like a, a, a clothing line or a perfume line. They always have to have like a side hustle. Mm-hmm. Other than in music these days, which is, and it's kind of a, a bummer that it's kind of that way yeah. now. Or have your music come out of every major appliance in in America. That's right. You got to open that up, open that, that microwave, and have your album bust now. <laughs> I love yeah. The, and uh, as Deborah is showing off the uh, the uh, Aqua Spin, she opens up the freezer and it starts playing. I'm not gay. I'm not gay. Titties. <laughs> this is not going to go well. You don't want that in every house. But <laughs> yeah, we're getting ready for the drop of the album. And we get a couple scenes of tension among the members of Connor's party where they start taking pictures of him for like the release party. And they're telling Owen to step off to the side. His buddy's like, don't get in the picture. Your shadow's blocking Connor. Yeah, I know. The photographer uh, played by Kevin Nealon. <laughs> yeah. just comes out of nowhere. Kevin Nealon. And then Sarah Silverman, the publicist, says that she wants Connor to be the everywhere. He's going to be the biggest thing ever. She's like, I want him to be everywhere like oxygen, gravity, and clinical depression. That's such a that's a great line. Like as soon as I heard it, I was like, that is that is just chef kisses. Moi. I loved it. So it's like he's like, oh, I just want to get to the point where people forget that he's like a musician. <laughs> it's like what? Really? We want him to be an element, a periodic element. Yes. <laughs> that is hilarious. Yeah, Sarah Silverman in particular has a lot of killer lines in this movie, but she's so deadpan the way she says them, you kinda have to catch them. Right, like she has that one, like uh, comes on later on, where she says, like you know, Con- where she says, like you know, Connor's music may not be what I listen to, may not be what I like, but you know, he just makes so many people money. <laughs> so okay, in the course of the big release for the album, we meet Connor's girlfriend Ashley Wednesday, who is not in the movie much, but she's very vapid gold digger, and we will have a great scene with her later. But for now, just remember he's got a, a fiance off to the side. Yes, played by Imogene Poots. I don't know that. What's she from? Uh, she, uh, I just wrote it down. I don't know where she's from either. Sorry. You called me on my bluff. God <laughs> damn it, Maurice. What was her last name again? Poots. P-O-O-T-S. Okay, so Miss Poots was produced by Mr. and Mrs. Poots. That's where you would know her from. Yes. Oh, I like that. Very nice. <laughs> yes. All right, so here we go. The day of the big record release. This is where uh, Conquest finally drops. It's a big deal. There's the Aquaspin tie-in. And, hey, guess what? When his album is released to every major appliance in America, it sh- or in the world, it causes a huge global power outage, and he knocks out all the power. And all of a sudden, everyone is furious. They all call him an idiot. In fact, there's a press conference here where they have Obama, President Obama calling him a dumb fuck. <laughs> I'm assuming that's a play on when Obama was kind of calling out Kanye, calling him not too bright. But, uh, yeah, that, that hurts when Barrio, you know, calls you a dumb fuck. And we get shots of uh, this uh, gossip magazine, CMZ, uh, making fun of him with Will Arnett. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a play on TMZ, which is, like, pretty spot on. They have, like, Will Arnett, Mike Birbiglia, uh, Chelsea Peretti, and Eric Andre playing, like, the TMZ, you know, tabloid uh, gossip mag people and it's pretty if you ever watch tmz it, it, it's what they do is pretty spot on okay so his album has been released and surprisingly it is not a hit and we see that connor is so depressed he tries to kill himself in a swimming pool 
And then we find out the numbers that he he was expecting 200,000 sales the first day, a million and a half the first week, but it turns out he only gets 65,000 for the week. And it's a huge blow to his ego. Yeah, very much. Oh, and this is where they do that scene where they cut off the cameras. Yeah, okay. This is a very hard scene to describe. It's very clever because I've never seen a scene in a movie that's quite like this. See if you yeah, no, me neither. Yeah. Like this is very like breaking the fourth wall. A okay, bit. see if you can explain this one to people. Sell this for people who have never seen it before. All right. So in this scene, uh, Harry, his manager, played by Tim Meadows, is talking to Connor about the first um, week of sales. And there's like a little bee in the scene. They're they're by the poolside, and there's a bee that kind of Harry kind of swats away. And he's saying, "Yeah, we sold this one for the, this much for the first week." And Connor's like really depressed, like on the verge of tears. And he says, hey, can you just turn off the cameras a little bit? Then Harry asks the people to turn off the cameras. So the cameras go off. It's darkness. You don't see anything. And, but you hear the audio. And as you hear the audio, they put up the words about what they're saying, about how, like, we only saw this much. What are we going to do? This is insane. You know, this is, I'm like, what the, what the hell? And um, then they talk about how, they talk about, oh, this bee needs to go away. Like, you hear the bee buzzing. Then you hear more bees buzzing. And it's like, oh, my God, there's a swarm of bees here. And and then uh, you hear Connor saying, oh, my God, get my flamethrower. <laughs> and then the flamethrower, he, you hear like a flamethrower going whoosh, whoosh. Like, yeah, take that, bees, come get some. Like, oh, my God, it's the queen bee. It's, it's like like early radio almost where it's like you – and you hear this large buzzing sound of a huge queen bee. And then you hear Connor, you know, flamethrowing the, the queen bee. It's like, oh, my God. And then he, 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 he burns down the queen bee. And he's like, oh, my God, cameraman, tell me you got all that. And then the camera man's like, no, you told us to shoot off the camera. They're like, oh, fuck. And then it just cuts to the next scene. Yeah, I cannot think of any scene in any comedy movie that's quite like that, where it's all heard off camera. It just gets progressively more bizarre. And there's the, the sunscreen. I wrote down the sunscreen line where Tim Meadows like, I think the bees are attracted to my sunscreen. And Connor's like, why are you wearing sunscreen? It's not hot out. And Meadows like, because the sun can peek through the clouds. <laughs> it's an off-cast day. Yeah, that's true. Like. The whole thing was all audio and just like the text of what they were saying. It was like like early radio, and but it was like I've never seen that in a movie before. That's fucking genius. <laughs> yeah, and see, that's the kind of stuff that makes movies flop because nobody's ever seen something like that in a movie. It's too weird. But it's like it'll be seen as genius later. So it's one of those like it's, I just I just love any comedian or comedy writer alive would love that that scene right there because it's so unique. Yeah, I appreciate that they that they swung for the fences like that. I mean, I thought it was really good. <laughs> like when they're flame throwing the queen bee and she's like screaming like she's Godzilla. <laughs> yeah. very much so. <laughs> it's like, what's happening. And then it's like, Oh, please tell me you got all that on camera. And they're like, no, we, the cameras have been off. You told us to turn it off. And they're like, ah, all right. So here we go. Transitioning from the queen bee flamethrower attack to the concert or the tour is Connor now goes on tour to promote his new album, which is already starting off very poorly. And we meet another cameo, Bill Hader here, as Zippy the guitar tech, who loves to flatline. Yeah, basically he, he he's like, oh, yeah, I got the idea from the movie Flatliners, where they were like kind of, you know, they, they were dying, but then they kind of shocked them back to life. Like, I like to get in the, he called it like an FL sketch. An F-line sesh. Or F-line sesh, rather. And he, like, he flatlines like every you know, like like two or three times a week or something like that, where he just like he dies, but then he comes back to life. Every so, like it's like wow, that's 
That's very strange. So we have Bill Hader as the tech. Then we meet Joan Cusack as his mom, Tilly, who does drugs with the kids. And later in the movie, we find out, where's my notes? She's on tour with someone. Oh, Fallout Boy. Yeah, his mom is gone from the movie because she's on tour with Fallout Boy. Yeah, that's the only. That's my only criticism of this movie. I wish I, they had more Joan Cusack in it. Like maybe they, they got cut out for time or something. But like, if you got Joan Cusack in your movie, use Joan Cusack. Yeah. You know, you can hear the producers. We got Ringo or Joan Joan Cusack. Choose which one you want more of. <laughs> like, oh, Got to right. go with the Beatles. Oh, we'll go Ringo. Yeah, that's. And then we also meet Justin Timberlake, who has a cameo as Connor's personal chef, Tyrus Quash. A, that's got to be a play on something that I'm not picking up. Just it's so, it's such an odd name. <laughs> it is. <laughs> so all these famous people showing up in this movie, and now we go to Connor for real on tour, and this is where we get the magnum opus of this movie, the centerpiece, the thing that everyone will remember, the finest girl song, which uh, yeah. is one of the greatest songs ever recorded in pop history. Are are you as high on this one as I am? I dig this song. It's a genuinely good beat, and it's catchy, but it's 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 pretty fucked up. It's somewhat, what would be the right word? Somewhat inappropriate. It is, but it's also it's also patriotic in a weird way. If you think about it, yeah. Why do you hate the country, Mario? Why don't you like <laughs> this song? How dare you? You're you're trying to smear me. <laughs> Stand for the flag. I would love if you guys have never seen this movie to go Google finest girl the bin laden song and play it don't do it at work or do or maybe 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 your boss is cool like that i don't know don't do it in front of your parents or your kids don't do it within 500 yards of a school (laughs) (laughs) i'll definitely don't do that but the gist of the song is this is right after you know a couple years after bin laden had just been killed the U.S. government killed him, and so it's about a girl who wants to be fucked the same way that the U.S. government fucked Bin Laden. Yeah, that's, that's the song. <laughs> and it's it's a good song. It's a legitimately catchy song. And it, in, this, in the movie, it's fantastic. But if you look at the video, if you go and look, Google the video, the standalone video, it's even better because you got Vanessa Bayer in there who is fantastic as the crazy girl who wants to be fucked like Bin Laden. Yeah, and she, like, wears a beard at one point. It's like, how did you fit Bin Laden into a song about making uh, making love? And some of the lines in this song. She wanted me to invade her cave with my special unit. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's a whole series of videos on YouTube. I don't know if you've seen them, Darren. Watching people react to the Bin Laden song for the first time, and it's usually, like, older people. Show it to some, some old grandpa and watch his reaction to the song. Yeah, Peepaw might not like this song. I remember one guy, some old guy, watched this for the first time, and you see his reaction, and he just has got his mouth hanging open. But there's one line in the song, he's like, that's very clever, where she says, uh, uh, invade my cave, and he says, I couldn't, I couldn't track the metaphor or something. So it's all about, she wants him to bang her, but he doesn't get the metaphor, but he'll do it anyway because she's hot. And the old guy watching the video is like, that's actually pretty clever using the word metaphor in there. Well, you give credit where credit's due. <laughs> yes. So anyway, that will be the song this will forever be remembered for. And they later took this song in the video and they played it on SNL when Sandberg came back and hosted which is like the last digital short, perhaps. But it's really a commercial for this movie, so I don't count that as an SNL clip. But 
Boy, is that a great song. And again, it's a legitimately good, catchy song, too. She put on a beard, I started looking at the exit door. Then a turban, then a tunic. She said, invade my cave with your special unit. I said he wasn't in a cave, but there was no stopping. She demanded that I fuck her like we... Fuck Bin Laden. Fuck Bin Laden. Fuck Bin Laden. She wanted to fuck me harder than the U.S. government. Fuck Bin Laden. Yeah. That's that's it's, it's actually it's very good. <laughs> Although I should point out, there's a second song in this montage. They do the Bin Laden song, and then they do the Mona Lisa song, which is almost as funny. Do you remember that one? Yeah, it's a song about how the painting of the Mona Lisa is an overrated piece of shit, and like how it doesn't deserve all the profit. Like that's a weird topic to make a song about. If you look at the deleted scenes on the DVD, they have that entire song and the entire video. And it's basically how he's a world traveler, and he goes to different countries and talks about how their their famous landmark is a piece of shit. And the, he keeps coming back to the Mona Lisa because that's the worst one because her face looks like a baked potato, and because at one point he compares her to a garbage pail kid. Mona Lisa, you're worse than the pyramids. Can someone explain why the whole wide world is obsessed with the garbage pail kid? Looks like a I'm like, Jesus, that's uh no painting shaming, sir. Time is time is up. But I'm just saying on the on the DVD they have deleted scenes. They have the full Bin Laden song. They have the full Mona Lisa song. They have one called "Fuck Off," which is the funniest song on this. Do you know that one? Uh, I don't think so. Oh well, I have a treat for you. Just again, Ooh. don't do it among your around your parents or around a school or at work. But Google pop star deleted song "Fuck Off." And it's basically a song they didn't use in the movie, but it's him singing to a bunch of kids. It's like a kid's song, and it's about how your parents or your teacher ever give you attitude. Look them in the eye and tell them to fuck off and how you dance on their grave after they're dead. Jesus. <laughs> I, it's all great. Right. I, I'm, I'm about to change your life because that might be the best song in this movie. Wow. I, okay. <laughs> all right. Well, I, I got my weekend plans all set now. All right, so there is one line in particular in this F off song that I love because I think it's especially Lonely Islandish, where he says, fuck off, I don't want your life, I don't owe you shit, and I hate your rules, fuck off, get out of my room, you can suck my dick, <laughs> motherfucking shithead bitch, <laughs> you, can, you can fuck, oh, oh, I'm gonna live forever, hope you get butt fucked in prison. What the hell? <laughs> I'm telling you, go find that. That is the most Lonely Island song you're ever going to see. <laughs> we are the kids of the USA. We think for ourselves, so get the fuck out of our way. And all you adults can chop our shit. We hope you suffocate on a dog stick. Fuck off. You think I'm a punk when your face looks like an Good gravy. I, I, this is, I am, I'm appalled. <laughs> See, this movie's even greater than you thought it was. 
Apparently, this is this is just shooting up the ranks for me now. This, now with this new information. So anyway, that's the first show on their tour, and afterwards, Connor is not pleased because it did not sell out. He put all this work into his new album, and they couldn't even sell out an eighteen thousand seat arena, and he's furious. Right? Yeah, because like at one point he says, "Oh, all the people in the all the people in the in the floor seats say, what's you know, let me hear you scream.'" And then they scream. It's all oh, all the people in the back. Let me hear you scream. Then they scream. And then oh, all the people up in the up in the bleachers. Let me hear you scream. And it's like literally one guy screaming, like I love you, Connor. <laughs> and Connor's like, oh, this one guy's up there. All right. So the the big show is not a sellout. And not only does the manager and Connor get nervous that they're not selling out these little arenas, but Aquaspin, the sponsor, is nervous. They're threatening to pull out their entire you know sponsorship and they said the only way we're going to keep sponsoring the show is if we bring in an opening act for you and connor's like no i don't need anybody else but (laughs) here we go here's the other character and most people love this guy this is hunter the hungry played by future snl cast member chris red yeah and he plays it really well i mean i mean this character hunter the hungry he's like he's honestly he's obviously based off of a title the creator but like he's like this rapper who is Who's, who's legit insane. He's literally, he's like, honestly, like there's one point where the Riz, they interview the RZA from Wu-Tang, and then it's like, oh yeah, he's crazy. Like, I, one time I saw him, he wasn't even smoking a blunt, he was just eating it. <laughs> yeah, so they, they bring on this crazy rapper to be his opening act, and it's going to be a hit right out, right from the start. They become a big deal, and they op- Hunter opens the show for Connor, and Connor gives his DJ Owen this big uh, helmet to wear, like he says, yeah, like a Daft Punk, uh, Dead Mouse type of helmet. Yeah, here's the exact words he used. He goes, "I got you a new head. You can be like Daft Punk or Dead Mouse or Oprah Spinfrey or Vinyl Richie." <laughs> <laughs> Puns are fun. <laughs> There's a, a line in here again, just wordplay in this movie. The Lonely Island guys love these wordplay jokes, where. <laughs> He had uh, Owen has to put on this big helmet because he's an EDM guy now. And he's like, it looks like Optimus Prime's dick. <laughs> and Connor's <laughs> like, don't you want to look like Optimus Prime? And Owen just says, this is dick. He just adds it on to the end, <laughs> which is just a, a little quick little joke I always loved. No, I love it. Okay, so Hunter and Connor become this big twosome, and their shows are immediate hits, and everyone loves them because Hunter is a big star now. But the problem is people are only coming to see Hunter, and Connor is being left behind. Like, he's not getting any new album sales. Nothing's happening, and he's really concerned. And this is where we're going to get some tension now between Hunter and Connor. Yes, yes. I mean, I think at first they they genuinely have, like, a like – a, like a tight friendship they're becoming tight but at the same time like hunter is like over you know he's like surpassing connor and and connor don't like it (laughs) yeah so so things are going poorly for connor on every front and this is where we're gonna the really i mean the big point of this movie is the style boys are gonna get back together that's where we're going but we're gonna cut back to lawrence the third guy on the farm who's been a evil angry hermit for all these years and we learn some of his history. Like, he, he tried a solo career, too, right? Yes, he had uh, that one song called, uh, uh, you know, These Are the Things in My Jeep, where it's literally him just listing things that are in his Jeep. It's a cup holder, a steering wheel, a soda can in the backseat, a phone charger, an old wallet. These are the things in my Jeep. 
there. They have a, a cameo here from some rapper or singer. I don't know who it is. They don't put the name underneath him. I don't know who it is. Oh, I think that was Nas. Nas. And Nas talks about Lawrence's song, Things that These Are the Things in My Jeep. And Nas says, I couldn't relate to that song because I had different things in my Jeep. <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh, a comb, a CD. These are the things in my Jeep. Like, I, I, had, I had different things in my Jeep. I couldn't relate. That's <laughs> <laughs> so, so deadpan. But so Connor is now failing. Every single thing on his tour is failing. It's going against him. And now he starts getting gimmicky. He starts, he decides he's going to introduce magic into his show. And this is another one of my favorite scenes in the movie where he decides he's going to be a quick change artist. Yeah, I think that's based on something else, too. I think somebody was trying, some, some musician was trying to do that, too, in his, uh, in his act. But I can't remember who it is, though. <laughs> okay. so Yeah. <laughs> so very helpful. <laughs> yeah, very helpful. Thank you. No problem. I was just thinking of this scene. So I'm going to set this up for people at home that he does a quick change where you pull down, you're wearing one change of costume and you pull down this curtain around you and then you pull it up and you're wearing different clothes. But he has a problem that his dick keeps getting caught on the the curtain. So Connor right. has to tuck it back. He has to do the old Jamie Gum, Silence of the Lambs, tuck back move. Oh, goodbye horses. Yes. <laughs> So he tucks it back, and then tragedy befalls him on stage the first time he tries the uh, quick change when he pulls up the curtain, and he has no clothes on. He's in between changes, but his genitals have been tucked back. So all of a sudden, there's a million shots of Connor on the Internet having no genitals, and this is horrifying. Yeah, and he was like, oh, no, don't, I do have a, a dick. Don't think I don't have a dick, but I can't take out my dick and show you. It, it's a great conundrum. <laughs> That's such a clever way to do that joke. I love that line. I, I, I have a dick, but I can't show you it. But I want to, but I can't. It is such a great conundrum. <laughs> just the use of the, just the word conundrum. <laughs> it's like, what? I love where after the uh, the dick debacle, there's a shot backstage afterwards. Connor's furious. He's like, I cannot believe all these people out there talk, took pictures and think that I have no dick. And, of course, Connor's got these yes-men, and one of the yes-men says, I've always believed you have a dick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I looked it up. One of the yes-men actually goes by the name of Sponge in this movie. I think it's a, the British guy. He's like, he goes by the name Sponge in this movie. He's like, wow, that's very apropos. <laughs> <laughs> so the yes-men all agree that he has a dick, but Hunter, the crazy rapper, says, yeah, but where was it, though? Because that motherfucker was gone. <laughs> <laughs> And at this point, like, I think Hunter suspect that maybe, I mean, no, Connor suspects that Hunter had something to do with that little debacle. But, you know, Hunter doesn't confirm it. He's like, oh, maybe I did do that. That'd be a great trick. But no, I didn't do it. Or maybe I did do it. No, I didn't do it. Maybe I did not didn't do it. And, like, I don't know. There's something that Chris Reddy, he plays crazy very well. <laughs> like, his, when his eyes get all wide, it's like, oh, he really looks like he's out of his mind. I'm still not sold on Chris Redd on SNL as being all that great, but this movie always gives me hope. That guy, he plays crazy, so I'm waiting for him to find his great SNL character. Yeah, I hear you. <laughs> okay, so, and there's a great transitional. Again, so much of comedy is timing, where, you know, there's this big thing where Andy, or Connor was just caught with no genital on stage, and everyone's taking pictures, and his manager, Tim Meadows, is like, 
It's not like it was news. In the minute it says that, and right it behind Connor on the news, you see a picture of him on CNN with no genitals. And so, <laughs> and he's like, "Damn it!" <laughs> and so his suggestion is now everyone mocks him. They all think he's a joke. They think he has no genitals. He's a freak. And he's like, I need to do something new. I need to get my name out of the news. I need to do something. He's like, I'm going to go tweet a picture of my dick. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. And his publicist like, no, don't do that. For really, though. Yeah. Please don't do that for real. <laughs> okay. So their plan to get him out of the news and people get people to forget the dick story is to have him propose to his girlfriend. Yeah, exactly. Oh, and I'm, then... I'm going to give you the credit on this one. You will be able – I will give you this entire scene because I'll be laughing too hard. Please explain the proposal gone wrong scene. Okay, so in order to get his name you know, back in the good graces of his fans, he plans this whole proposal thing for his girlfriend, um, I think it's Ashley yes. Wednesday. So he, she takes Ashley Wednesday out to this big field. Of course, there's a lot of press there, a lot of paparazzi there. Um, there's also like a, like an orchestra, a whole musical orchestra and there's seal, the singer seal is there singing to them. And they are, they also have a, um, a pack of wolves <laughs> on uh, leashes there with wolf, wolf handlers. One of them played by uh, Paul Shear. Now, do you know why, why, why the wolves are there? Yes, because, uh, Ashley, I think said, I think she went to like some, uh, some, some healer or something like that. And the healer said like, in her past life, she was a wolf. So Connor wanted to have wolves there as kind of a, like a nod to that. Yes. <laughs> but what happened, what ha ends up happening is the singing from the music and uh, seal singing freaks out the wolves and the wolves begin to howl and get very agitated. And Paul Shear's like, yeah, you got to turn off this music. The wolves are getting, getting ornery. And so basically what happens is the wolves somehow break free from, their leashes and just basically start attacking everyone and everyone just runs in, in terror over this uh, wolf attack from this proposal gone wrong. The live wedding proposal that they bring out the actual singer seal making a cameo. Now I haven't heard from seal in years. I was very excited to see him again. Now seal people don't remember is the guy with the scars. He's got these scars on his face from like uh, he had some childhood illness or something. I kind of forget what the story was. Right. But they give him a backstory here, which I love, is that Seal's music is so beautiful and haunting, it causes wolves to go crazy. So the wolves break free, they kill all the guests, and they attack Connor and his girlfriend, and they attack Seal. And so we have wolves fighting off Seal, and, and Seal said, don't worry, I've done this before, how do you think I got these scars? Right, like at one point, one of the wolves bites Seal on the arm, and he like... He pushes them off and he howls at the at the sunlight. <laughs> and like, like, what the hell? And then, but but as Connor and his girlfriend and Harry, they run off into uh, they they escape, but not until they see like another wolf like just jump on Seal and attack, and they're like, oh my god, Seal's dead! We killed Seal! We kids, we killed Seal! But it's, yeah, it's it's uh, it's pandemonium. A very random scene, again, featuring Seal explaining how he got his scars from a past wolf attack, and then Seal also uttering the line, fucking wolves. <laughs> <laughs> fucking wolves, man. <laughs> but as it turns out, like, Seal, he's not killed, he's just injured, I think he lost an eye. <laughs> but he, but like the tabloids say he's suing Connor, and like, 
the whole basically the whole proposal just went downhill. There's some great jokes in this follow-up scene. We, we immediately cut to Us Weekly magazine with Seal with one eye looking all sad, saying he's going to sue Connor. And there's a bunch of tweets from Seal fans very angry at Connor. Did you catch the tweets? Uh, no, I missed those. All right, here they are. <laughs> one of the tweets says, Connor for real should get kissed by a fist. Oh, I do remember that. Shit, I should have written that down. Connor for real is the Skynet of pop stars, which is a Terminator 2 reference, I believe. <laughs> wow, I missed that. <laughs> and then my favorite is heal fast, seal, die slow, Connor. <laughs> Jesus. Wow. The internet is, is a cruel mistress. Yeah, so Connor has now injured seal. Now he's going to be uh, sued. His girlfriend leaves him. He's, his life is just in the gutter. And in a last attempt to fight the backlash, he goes on The Tonight Show because Jimmy Fallon will save him. So what happens on The Tonight Show? Basically, on the uh, he goes on The Tonight Show. Fallon, you know, talks to him about what happened and, like, the album. But then he gets kind of – Fallon kind of ambushes Connor saying – Oh, you know, uh, can we talk about, like, your old group, the Style Boys? Because, like, I love doing – I love you guys back in the day. I love doing a donkey roll. Some people said I did a better donkey roll than you. And, you know, Connor tries to play it off. Like, yeah, yeah, that was back in the past, but I want to talk about the future. And then basically Fallon says, well, you know, we, I talked to uh, Kid Contact. He's backstage. So why don't we all come out here and do the donkey roll? So then, uh, you know, Owen comes out with, like, the, the old Style Boys T-shirt and, like, uh, Connor reluctantly puts it on, and then it's Owen and Connor and Jimmy Fallon all doing the old donkey roll. So, and then after um, after that segment goes off, uh, Connor goes backstage, and Owen's like, "Yeah, wasn't that fun? Like the old days." And Connor's like, "No, I was embarrassed. I didn't want to do that. Like, I want to look forward. Like, I don't want to be like a has been in, in front of these people." He gets very he's very upset that he got you know kind of tricked into doing the donkey roll, but Owen very much wants to bring back the style boys and kind of, you know, be the trio that they used to be. Yeah. And that will become the last half hour of this movie that everybody wants the style boys to come back except Connor. He wants to do his own thing, but everyone else is cheering for these old group, the old moves, the old dances. And, and the, the one guy, Owen, his sidekick, the buddy decides he's got a master plan to get the style boys back together. And it's based on a famous movie. Now, Darren, what famous movie would that be? He bases off The Parent Trap. <laughs> yeah, so in The Parent Trap, for those who have not seen it, a two twin little girls devise this plan to get their divorced parents back together, I believe. Yeah, yeah. So basically what happens is Owen calls out Lawrence saying, hey, you should come out here to see us. Um, Connor wants to apologize. He wants to make amends. And he Owen also tells Connor, hey, Lawrence is coming out. He wants to apologize. He wants to make amends. So, like, he's basically kind of lies to both of them just to get them together in the same room. And he thinks once they get in the same room together, once they get talking, they'll it'll hash out and it'll all work out, which it does not. <laughs> in uh, this one in this hilarious scene in uh, when they meet up in the back seat of this limo. And, uh, yeah, this scene was woof, who boy. So we'll lead up to the limo scene. This is the first attempt at parent trapping the group back together. But first we see uh, Connor for real doing a song, a new, another song. Once again, all his songs are fairly offensive and inappropriate. This is one that he is dedicated to the people of España. Yes. <laughs> yeah, because he was in Spain and he noticed that people pronounce the S with like a TH. So instead of Spain, they say 
Spain. Yes. <laughs> it's like the whole country has this weird accent. <laughs> this is his tribute to the people of Spain. He comes out there and he says, I'm going to sing a song about a fiesta. Our tummies are full of paijea. <laughs> really, I wish I could hear the whole version of that song because I bet it's horrible like the other ones. But it's, Yeah. It's like Daffy Duck doing a pop song. It's like, what is this? So, afterwards is the limo reunion. And I will set this up so I'll give you the punchline if you, if you dare to take it. But Oh, I dare. They all meet up in a limo afterwards. Lawrence and Owen and Connor, the three style boys, back together for the first time. And and right off the bat, Connor's like, are you trying to parent trap us? Like, he knows what's trying, what's going on here. And so they're all locked in a limo, and they all start arguing immediately, right, the start about who gets credit and who was the brains. And as Connor's arguing in the background, right behind him, there's a bunch of fans. Like, these fans have surrounded their limo, and the fans are repeatedly pressing things up against the window. So as Connor's trying to have an emotional argument, there's tits back there, and there's a butt. And then we get to the part that I'm sure you'd love to talk about. Yeah, so there are boobs pressed up against the window. Connor sees that. You know, ladies backsides pressed up against the window. Connor sees that and he's like, "Yeah, see, Lawrence, this is what I'm. This is what I'm all about. This is what I'm getting." And as he's talking to Lawrence, uh, a man uh, pulls down his his pants and presses his uh, his his private parts <laughs> against the window. And we see a flaccid penis against against the window. And he's like, "Yeah, see, Lawrence, this is what I'm. This is what I'm about." I'm, I'm getting this all the time. And, of course, everybody else in the, in the limo is like, wait, uh, you should really turn around and see that. He's like, no, no, no. I know what's back there. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to slurp it down, all this pain. I'm loving it. And, of course, there's a, it's a man's penis against the window. And we get a nice long look at it, too. Yeah, it, it don't go away. It's on screen for a good 90 seconds, I would say. His presence is felt. And not only that, but then <laughs> Connor turns around and sees this flaccid penis. First, he screams. And he's like, oh, okay. Because yeah. his the guy's girlfriend says, could you autograph it for me, please? <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> they have to roll down the window, and Andy Samberg has to sign a penis. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> and, he, and he does it. He does like like, right around the tip. The logistics of that seem very difficult. If you, if you, if you do, you can do it for your fans. You can find, you can find a way. That's what he does. He loves the fans. He'll do anything. So he signs the penis and then he rolls the window back up, which you see the penis and the testicles being pushed up by the electric window, which is a visual I didn't need, but okay. Yeah. And then Connor immediately like Purell's his hand. Yes, and he's like, <laughs> I think we should go through a car wash. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, after that, we see that the Connor and Lawrence, they, they don't, Get to, it doesn't work out like Owen wanted, and they, they're still angry at each other. <laughs> and, like, Lawrence leaves. Yeah, the parent trapping failed. Owen, ironically, is Owen 1. Yeah. Oh, I see what you did. Well done, sir. Brava. <laughs> okay, so everything's going going downhill now. Lawrence won't get back together. The tour is like in the gutter, and... This is the, it goes even worse, the, there's this uh, pop award ceremony every year called the Poppies. They now disinvite Connor from performing this year. And not only that, now comes the double, the double insult of Hunter is now going 30 minutes over his set every night and going into Connor's time because the audience would rather see Hunter. Yeah, it's becoming more and more obvious that Hunter's taking over the show. And he's like, and like at one point he's like 30 minutes over. 
and like Connor talks to Harry, his manager, about it. like he's he's thirty minutes over. I'm supposed to be on there. And then Harry's like, no, no, he's gonna leave soon. And then literally uh, Hunter said to the mic, I ain't never leaving this stage. <laughs> They're gonna have to kill me up here. <laughs> so then what happens is Hunter gets very agitated. He's like, I'm going on stage right now. Like you know, Owen, get on get on the get get behind the DJ booth. I'm going on right now. So he basically interrupts um uh, um uh Hunter's set and Hunter's like, "Hey, what are you doing up here?" And he's like, "No, I'm and like so the two of them kind of battling out for the spotlight. They're they're basically having a fight on stage and then Hunter reveals like, "Yeah, it was it was me. I did do that magic trick thing that let your, you know, let the world see you didn't have a penis." And the sabotage. The, yeah, sa- saboteur. And of course that causes, you know, oh, uh Hunter to not Hunter. It causes Connor to just go full on angry and just re- just basically attack him on stage. Um, the head that Owen has on is like too heavy and Owen just falls down the stairs and the whole show is just like basically a debacle. Yeah. So this is where Connor is going to lose everything. He's going to fire Hunter. He's going to fire his manager, Tim Meadows. And there's a great scene here where <laughs> Connor fires Tim Meadows. Tim Meadows is angry, but then Connor doubles down and knocks all of his uh, stack of papers off the table and he says, have fun collating that. And Tim Meadows says, there's no fun in collating. <laughs> yeah, because basically also Connor finds out that Harry is also Hunter's manager now. So like Connor's like, well, you got to either choose him or me because I don't want him on this tour anymore. He's out. And so the, like, Harry basically goes with Hunter and then Connor's like, all right, you're fired. I, I don't trust you anymore. And now they're, they they yep. broke up. Connor's life is ruined. He has now reached rock bottom. He is nothing. He he goes home, and there's a couple great quotes here where he says, I thought I could trust everyone. I thought I could trust my manager. I thought I could trust Seal. He blames Seal. <laughs> yeah, and because he sees Seal with his ex-girlfriend now. <laughs> Here's the other line I like. I thought I could trust the Yelp reviews of PartyWolves.com. <laughs> I remember that's, that. That's so great. That's such a great line. <laughs> like, who hires wolves to party? That's a thing. I don't know, but they had a good Yelp score. There's even a positive review from the last customer that said they were great. All right, I gotta look into that. I got a, I got a birthday coming up. All right. Don't hire Seal. Tipping you off right now. Done. <laughs> Thanks for the tip. Not that that was probably going to be an issue, but please don't hire Seal. <laughs> All right. Done and done. All right, so so Connor is now left with just him and his posse back at home, and he has to test if he actually has any friends in the world because he's been tipped off that all he has are yes-men that will tell him he's amazing when he's not. So, D- Darren, what is his test that he tests all his posse at home to test their loyalty? All right, so basically at this point he doesn't know who to trust anymore. Like, he feels like he can't trust anybody. So to test his friend's loyalty is he makes – pancakes for all his uh, friends. He makes pancakes for, uh, I think it's, it's one of the guys' names, Eddie, then there's the other guy, Sponge, and he makes pancakes for Owen. And um, two of the guys, Eddie and Sponge, are saying, oh yeah, these pancakes are great. And Owen's like, no, these pancakes are terrible. I don't, and Connor's happy. He's like, oh, thank, thanks for telling me the truth, because I'll have you all know that I put dog shit in these pancakes. <laughs> so they were definitely terrible. That's the test. Only Owen, his nearest and dearest friend, says, these were terrible. And, and Andy and Connor's like, I love you. Thank you for telling me the truth. But he expects loyalty and gratitude. But no, Owen is mad that he put dog shit in the pancakes. 
Yeah, this was inter- this was an interesting like character change for Owen a little bit because like throughout this whole like movie, he's been kind of like a little bit passive. Like he's like he's trying to get the style boys together, but he's not. But he's like kind of being passive about it. And like you know, even though he doesn't want to wear the the big like dead mouse head, he still wears it. But like at this point, he's like he gets kind of breaks and he gets really angry at Connor. It's like no, how? Why would you think I'd lie to you? I'm your oldest friend. I've known you forever. This is. This is horrible that you did this to me. What the what the hell? He's like genuinely angry. There's a great exchange here that I've always loved where Connor defends his actions. He's like, Owen, you should trust me. I put food on your table. And Owen's like, yeah, with dog shit in it. <laughs> <laughs> but it's still food. <laughs> it's still food. I mean, technically, he is correct. It will nourish you and feed you. But now we get the grand gesture, the end of Connor's life as he knows it, where Maximus, his beloved turtle, dies. So we get this poor tortoise Maximus that he has had for years. We get shots of him. He's getting, he's sick. He's projectile vomiting, which is a fun CGI having a tortoise vomiting. And then Connor cannot rush him to the hospital because the paparazzi blocks his mansion. So, so poor Maximus dies and we get a very goofy funeral for him. Yeah. Oh, that wasn't real turtle vomit. You're telling me wow. <laughs> or first I blew your mind with the cut scenes. And I blew your mind with the turtle being CGI. Yeah, so uh his, yeah, so um Connor's beloved turtle Maximus dies and he has like this uh funeral for him in the in the pool where he sets him off in a raft like viking funeral style and he sets the turtle on fire and he pushes him away and like immediately after uh that he you know the turtle's on fire and he pushes him away in this very soft tender funeral somebody yells out pool party and then everybody just jumps <laughs> in the pool and like a DJ plays music and and everybody's having a good time except for Connor, who's very bummed out. I just have to point out, I love this. The irony is that he gives Maximus a water funeral, even though tortoises do not go in the water. Like, I he, I think he believes that he's kind of a water turtle. He's sending him back to where he came from. But tortoises cannot swim. I own a tortoise. They drown in water. So just another thing of Connor not really getting how life works. You know what? I did not even get that. I didn't even know that. Like, I... I thought that was like a sweet thing he was doing until you said, oh, then, oh, I guess tortoise. Yeah, that doesn't yeah, it make sense. It is a sense. sweet thing, but I think it's he believes that Maximus is a water turtle. <laughs> Dude, that, that totally went over my head. So anyway, the downfall of Connor is complete. He gets beaten up by Martin Sheen in an airport. <laughs> yeah, the tour is canceled. <laughs> tour is canceled. He passes out on a hoverboard. There's a shot of him <laughs> passed out and just rotating around a parking lot as, it, as the hoverboard is on fire, of course. Yeah, it just catches fire for no reason. Yeah, so he's done. This is the end of Connor for real. And now we flash forward to three weeks later, and this is kind of the end of the movie that he is. He's just house-sitting for his mom now. He stays at home all day, and he does painting paintings and drawings of horses, and they're the worst horse paintings you've ever seen. Like childish. Like a kindergarten child drawings. <laughs> I was just showing them to my wife while I was watching this morning, and she was giggling just these... Horse paintings are so stupid. They don't look anything like a horse, and he's so proud of them. And he's selling them on eBay for like 10 bucks. Yeah, it's, it's a side hustle. See? Every every musician needs one. And so he's he's bummed now. His mom is off on tour with Fallout Boy, apparently. He just lays right. around the house. And so his manager comes to cheer him up, and she's like, i got to take you out. we got to do something. And he's like, no. And, and it, like he's drinking. He's like drinking at 11. 
He's like, you want a drink? And she's like, it's 11. And he, Connor's like, it's 1130 somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> so where does, where does she take him? She takes him out to a special place. Yeah, she takes him to this uh, club. But like before he leave, before they leave, Connor's like, oh, I'm too famous. I got to wear my disguise. And he puts on this weird disguise where it's like a big nose, a big chin, and like this kind of floppy kind of bowl cut hairstyle and glasses. And like they just made, they riff on that. It's like he looks like Matthew Modine with like a peanut <laughs> allergy or something like that. So he's like, oh, you look like Nazi propaganda. Okay, yeah, let me let me set that up. It's great that they're, they're going to go out. First, first back at the house, they watch a bunch of videos, home videos of him and his buddies when they were the style boys. And he's like, we were nerds. And he's like, but we were very cool for our school district. And then <laughs> she's like, we're going out to a club. And he's like, okay, but let me put on my makeup. And she's like, please, no, not that makeup. And we immediately cut to him in the goofiest makeup ever. Right. But like you said, she says, you look like if Matthew Modine had a peanut allergy, you look like Nazi propaganda. And later someone says, you look like Jason Siegel. He kind of did. <laughs> that, that's yeah. a weird thing. But they go to Owen's new show. Owen's got a new stage show. Yeah, Owen is like doing, um, he's doing some solo project at a, in a club. And um, Connor's very impressed by it. Like he has some re really great music, some really great beats. But when Owen sings, He's not a great singer. He's very pitchy. And, like, I mean, that's their way of showing that, like, you know, Owen needs Connor to get to the next level. Like, they all, like, all three of the style boys need each other because Owen can do the music, but he can't sing. And, you know, uh, Lawrence can write the lyrics, but he needs, they all, he needs Connor to sell it. Like, they all need each other. And, like, this is kind of like a little nod to that. Yeah, and Connor can sell anything, but he just the songs that he writes are offensive and terrible. Exactly, all three of them need each other. It's a it's a beautiful kind of this basically this movie is like about friendship in a weird way, which I really I didn't see that coming. Especially at the end, we'll get to the we're almost to the end here. So they uh, Lawrence or sorry, Owen and Connor get back together, even though Connor is dressed like Jason Siegel. And they said, we just need Lawrence now to get back together. So we need to go to his barn out in the middle of or his farm out in the middle of nowhere and reunite with this guy and get the style boys back together. That's the only way we'll ever be great again. And here we get a one of the my favorite one of my favorite undersung scenes in this movie, because it's very deadpan where they go out to the farm and they apologize. He apologizes to Lawrence. Right. Yeah. He basically breaks down everything. Uh, you know that that he's kind of been keeping up, head up inside, and he basically is like, "Yeah, I, I was a dick. I could have been a better friend." And you know, you you did write all those, all that stuff that made me a star, and I could, I should have given you the credit for that, and I apologize. And you know, we've been friends forever, and I just want us to be friends again. It's very sweet. One moment I have to highlight here that I've always loved is that. Just pointing out how vapid Connor is. Connor doesn't really get how the world works. This is how he apologizes to Lawrence not winning a poppy award for the catchphrase song. He brings him, Connor brings him his own poppy and says, here, you can use this to take pictures with. Oh, right. Oh, shit. I totally forgot about yeah, that. So Lawrence says, no, I want my own poppy. And he throws it and they... And they stand there, and then oh, Connor finally apologizes to Lawrence for taking away all his credit, never thanking him for writing the songs, and one of the most roundabout, awkward apologies you are ever going to hear in a movie. Yeah, very much so. Where he's like, "Yeah, like I was there bright and early every day at the studio." Oh wait, no, I was I was late. I was late. Well, actually, no, I wasn't there. Now I'm remembering. I, I, didn't, I never showed up. 
It goes on for about three minutes of, of Connor saying, yeah, well, I, I, sh- I gave you a little credit, but actually, no, I didn't. I gave you none. And then, well, I thanked you. Actually, no, I wasn't even there that day. No, it was a power move. I was trying to drive you out of the band. Yeah, I kind of remember this now. <laughs> like it's all coming back to him now. It's all flushing back. It's like, oh, wait, I was not that great a friend. But at the end, he finally does it. Connor finally apologizes, and Lawrence hugs him. And just like that, the three style boys are back together. And then Owen says, right in the background, boom, parent trap. It happened. Yeah, it happened. Powerful movie. (laughs) Parent trap is a powerful movie. So how do they celebrate now that they're back together? Uh, They celebrate. um, Well, one of them asks Lawrence, hey, what do you grow here at this form of yours? And he's like, oh, I'll show you. Turns out. Lawrence grows weed, just tons and tons and tons of weed and sells weed at his farm. So they celebrate by all getting super high and getting stoned. It turns into a big stoner movie. Yeah, they they actually take the Poppy Award that Connor won and they use it as a bong and smoke weed through it together. So it's very symbolic. Yeah, and they're like, oh, no way it works. And like it's like it's the three of them just like hanging out, smoking weed. And actually, at that one point, they kind of get back in the rhythm of writing songs together too like hey what was that one song that you had and then they they're kind of like writing songs again and then they find out lawrence actually has a studio in his barn so then they go into the studio and they start like kind of collabing and writing a song like they used to back in the day did you did you catch the little visual joke about all the different types of weed that uh, lawrence has uh, I, I didn't write it down, but I did see it. Like, like witch's titty or something like that. Yeah. Well, he's going through. He's got all these different styled these bottles full of weed on his drawer, on his dresser that he, that he grows, and they all have names like yeah, witch's titty, blah blah blah. And then right in the middle, there's a jar that's a little different. It's smaller and it's liquid instead of weed, and it just says frog jizz on it. Oh yes, I did catch that. <laughs> they they did not. Yeah, that was like a really quick <laughs> joke. Where if you go back, hey, hey, wait a minute, is that actual? <laughs> there's a deleted scene on the dvd of a gag if you look at the gag reel and it's the scene of of lawrence right. trying to explain how he has a jar of frog jizz and the three of them cannot get through that scene together they crack up every single time so they cut it from the movie but it's very funny fantastic <laughs> so, so yeah they're all getting back together they're writing songs together and connor darren connor even makes the effort he goes out and buys a book called how to be a better friend yeah, and it's all, and uh, yeah, this is where Owen says to the camera, like, yeah, it was all, I noticed he had that book, it's all page marked and had like highlighting, highlighted and all, and had dog eared and everything. It was like really, it's very sweet. It's really awesome. And it also shows that, you know, Connor can read, which is a really big relief <laughs> off my, off my shoulders. <laughs> okay, and here comes the grand finale of the movie. The Style Boys are back together, they're writing songs again, they're buddies. And now Paula, the manager, calls Connor. And says, you know, the Poppy Awards want you back. And he's like, what? And she's like, good news. Taylor Swift was arrested for murder. <laughs> wow. I mean. <laughs> yes. <laughs> they don't even go into the story about that. It's just like, yeah, she, she murdered the guy. <laughs> or girl. I don't know. Yeah, we're not going to judge. I don't know what her rage entails. That's right. Anybody can get murdered. It's 2020. <laughs> exactly. So. So they need six minutes to kill at the end of the ceremony. Taylor Swift was going to end the ceremony, but now they need someone to invite Connor back. And they said, you know, we'll give you six minutes. You can do whatever you want. 
and he says what he wants to do is he wants to do three minutes of his own stuff and three minutes of the style boys coming back. So it's going to be a big deal. But first we have to have the little speech with the three guys if they're back together again, which is this is a fantastic speech because it's all just wordplay, the Wu-Tang speech. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. Because like they were saying, you know, you can go and do your thing. but And like, you know, we're, you're still part of the group. It's like when Method Man from the Wu-Tang Clan did his own solo thing. He was still in the Wu-Tang Clan. Or like, you know, when Ghostface Killer, he did his of the Wu-Tang Clan. He did his own solo album, but he was still part of the Wu-Tang Clan. <laughs> or like when, like the Jizza, like he went off and did his solo album, Jizza from the Wu-Tang Clan. But he came back to the Wu-Tang Clan because he's still part of the Wu-Tang Clan. That I love repetitive comedy like that that starts off and then it gets repetitive and then it keeps going where it becomes funny again. Like that's that's something Will Forte would have written. Yeah, I could I could definitely see that. And then they have a little debate. Like we're like three Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. Like I'm Tom Petty and you're Tom Petty and you're Tom Petty, but together we're all Heartbreakers. Like he's a Heartbreaker and they're like, yeah, we get it. <laughs> <laughs> so they agree that they are going to go to the Poppy Awards and reunite. And now we go to the Poppy Awards, the big finale of the movie, and all the style boys are there. And in the lobby of the Poppies, uh, Connor meets up with Hunter, the hungry again, and they have a little showdown in the lobby. Right, because like Connor is, is there with his documentary crew, and Hunter is there with his documentary crew because he has like like a you know a reality tv show on mtv2 or something like that and the two of them have like a bit of a showdown yeah competing documentaries they have exactly and then at one point hunter is talking into the camera saying hey it is hunter's world and then the cameraman has to be like oh no no you're we're with the other document we're, we're with snoop dogg's documentary crew and then we see that snoop dogg has a reality show called surprise motherfucker with Snoop Dogg. <laughs> yes. Snoop Dogg has a prank show, apparently. <laughs> You've just been surprised. Yeah. And then it's basically all the camera crews of all the rappers just getting confused and walking around each other, which is a great commentary on, uh, you know, pop music today in reality shows. Yeah. There's a great line in this scene that I love that Hunter goes up to Connor and says, you know, I got a documentary now. I got my own, you know, stage show. I'm a huge star. I single white female your ass. Yeah, <laughs> that's a great line. I just like that line. I kind of I kind of single white female dress. So we go to the uh, final performance. And right before the performance, Hunter the Hungry, who is all cocky now, gets in a fight with Tim Meadows. They get in a little slap fight and Tim Meadows fires him. So Tim Meadows makes up with Connor. Right, because like basically because um, what was it? Uh, Hunter was presenting an award with Mariah Carey. And then she he gets into a fight with Mariah Carey on stage because Hunter's trying to promote his album and. His uh, deal with Aquaspin is like, oh, do you know you can listen to Hunter the Hungry on Aquaspin, uh, you know, refrigerators? And and Mariah Carey's like, are you really promoting right now? He's like, stop, don't mess with my money, Mariah Carey. And so then they get into a big tiff on stage. And then, yeah, and then Hunter and Harry, his old manager, they get into an argument. I think at one point Hunter's, you know, called him like an old man has been. He talked because uh, also in the beginning, Hunt, Harry mentions he was in the band. Tony, Tony, Tony. He was the fourth member, but it was called Tony, 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 because like his Tony was with a question mark at the end. So Hunter calls him like you're an old has been from Tony, 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 and then that's when Harry snaps and says like, "Don't you dare disrespect me! I will eat your head! <laughs> I will eat your fucking head!" I don't even know what that means, but it was hilarious. 
Got to point out that Tim Meadows is in both this and Walk Hard, and he steals almost every scene he's in in both movies. So shout out to Tim Meadows. He's underappreciated, uh, you know, comedic yeah. force. Okay, so now the final performance, and right before they go on stage, Connor's supposed to do three minutes with the Style Boys, three minutes by himself, and the stage director says, uh, "We the show's running long. We got to cut it down. You only have three minutes now, not six. So you have to choose. Are you going to do the Style Boys or are you going to do Connor for real? And he has to decide. And what's great is as he's deciding, he's looking back and forth between his two friends and himself. The stage manager is narrating his inner monologue. Yeah, because she's on the on her headset saying, "Yeah, no, I told him." He's kind of looking off, trying to decide. He's now he's looking at the uh, Style Boys, like so they might go this way, but no, no, now he's not looking. He's kind of looking, trying to decide. <laughs> what to do in this moment. Like, it seems like it might be a really important moment to him. Like trying to, yeah, yeah he's basically narrating his thoughts, which is hilarious. Like kind of comedic thing. Yeah. Just making fun of conventions of a comedy. Yes, very much so. All right. So here's the final performance. And Connor, of course, chooses the style boys. He chooses his friends. Cause that's the message of the movie. Be good to your friends is he goes out there and he starts his bin Laden song. We think we're going to get a, <laughs> A reprise of right. that, but he says, then he goes into, I'm a style boy for life, and he calls out his buddies, and here we get this surprisingly epic ending to a movie where they sing a song called Incredible Thoughts, featuring the one and only... Michael Bolton! That's right, Michael Bolton is back from Jack Sparrow. People clamored for it. <laughs> you gotta give the people what they want, they want Bolton. Yeah, and, and it's this song called, uh, like you said, Incredible Thoughts. It kind of reminded me of that insane clown posse song, the Miracles song, where they're like, oh, magnets, how does that work? And it kind of it was a play on that, where they just talk about all these kind of like random thoughts that they had. And then they reveal, like in a flashback, how they kind of made that song when the, when they were back at the barn, like a few minutes <laughs> yeah, ago. Yeah, when they were stoned. Yeah, yeah, so somehow they made this song when they were stoned, and they produced it quick enough that it was able to it was able to be performed that night and the lyrics in this song i did not write them all down but it's just random thoughts that popped in their head it's kind of like the catchphrase song earlier the only ones that i wrote down were a milk dud sitting in the acid rain a house cat addicted to the cocaine yeah it's it's a lot of just random babble, but it's beautiful. It's beautiful because Michael Bolton is singing it, so you got his voice, and then it's capped off by a fish playing a guitar, which is Justin Timberlake in a cameo again. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, the fish was me! The fish playing guitar, and then it ends with, they all come out and do the donkey roll with, who's that with them? Is that Usher doing the donkey roll with them? That is Usher, which I thought was interesting because he did mention in the beginning of this movie how it was always his lifelong dream to do the donkey roll with uh, Style Boys, which is also interesting because, like, Usher, I believe, was the guy that discovered uh, Justin Bieber. So it's interesting how that all worked out. So this whole movie was just a roundabout telling of the Usher story. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. So they all go out there and they sing their song with Bolton and they do their famous donkey roll dance with Usher and it ends with Tim Meadows pulling out the sexy saxophone one more time, just like in Tony, 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 Tony. <laughs> that's the end of the movie, basically. Basically, yeah. And everything uh, worked out. Like their the band is back together again. Everything's cool. And uh, yeah, it's it, it all worked out. 
at the very end of the movie, Andy Samberg gives his four final thoughts, which are be cool to your friends. Don't be a dick when you're on top. And then at one point, the stage manager starts making out with Owen, and he's like, man, is is she going to bang him? Yeah, that came out of nowhere. (laughs) And then the final thought, why is Deborah here? Because then Maya Rudolph shows up. Yeah, Maya Rudolph comes out of nowhere just applauds. It's like, oh, I guess she's here. Okay. Well, no, and like at the end of the show, it's like they've they've reconciled, and at the end, he has a new turtle, Maximus Two. Yeah, he has a new turtle, Maximus Two, a little baby tortoise, and he's showing it to the camera, and this is the present, and he's finally happy. Connor has finally reached peace, and as we fade to the credits, he is attacked very quickly by the last wolf. <laughs> yeah, and then it just goes to credits. <laughs> Boy, I love this movie. This is such a random, goofy-ass movie. I love it. Dude, this movie was, like, so much smarter and just so so much – there's so much comedy. It's so much – it deserves so much better in the box office. It deserves way more eyes on it. People, way more people need to be talking about this movie. Like, the fact that, like, like if I mention this movie to somebody, odds are they haven't seen it. Just, it just bums me out. Now, we talked about MacGruber earlier. MacGruber, another huge flop that I think is hilarious – Walk Hard, a notorious flop, which is hilarious. This movie was a flop. It's hilarious. The Lonely Island guys also did Hot Rod, which I don't think is as funny as this one, but it's still way better than its reputation is, and it was a flop. So it's like these really funny comedies are the ones that don't do well in the box office. You have to have people building them up and talking about them later, and this one is like ground zero for that. This is like absolutely one of the funniest movies. Just huge flop, but that's what we're trying to get across to people. This is a movie that everybody should know. Yeah, that just happens sometimes. Like I remember like years and years ago, it happened with the first Austin Powers movies. Like I don't think anybody saw it in the theater. It wasn't until video came out. That's when it was, it got big and like Zoolander too, Mm -hmm. as well. The first Zoolander movie wasn't a big hit and it wasn't, it just took a while to, for people to catch on. And I don't know. I just hope more people go back and like reevaluate this, reevaluate this movie and be like, wow, this how did how did this get past me? I was a real dope. Yeah, it's it's funny even going back through staff picks, other movies I've done on this show. Drop Dead Gorgeous. Do you know Drop Dead Gorgeous? I do. I remember that it came out when I was in college. I didn't see it, but like all my friends say it's amazing. Yeah, that is one of the funniest movies I've ever seen, and that was such a huge flop that the director basically went into exile forever. <laughs> like it it was so horribly a flop. And like the next movie I'm doing on staff picks is Clue, back from the eighties. That was a huge flop. That was a massive flop, and now it's beloved. It's interesting these ones that just don't work at the time but later become very well loved. Yeah, like uh, another one, like Election was another one. I remember that not doing well when it came out. Uh, one of my favorite movies of all, of all time that didn't do well at all, uh, Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. I think that that movie is like damn near perfect. And when it came out, no one saw it. And it was like, this, movie, this movie's got everything. What's wrong with you people? Yeah, and I've, I've done a, an episode on the Schwarzenegger movie Last Action Hero, another notorious flop. It's just interesting why some movies work and some don't. And it's like... A lot of times, mediocre stuff will be a hit, but stuff that aims for greatness is either going to be a huge hit or a huge flop. There's nothing in the middle. So, again, pop star right there, and I'm really glad I had someone with some SNL background to come on and talk about it, and also someone who knows all the singers in this movie, because I don't know 80% of them, so I'm glad you could identify them for me. Yeah, yeah, no, there were tons of them. It was, you know, Akon, um, 
I think Carrie Underwood was in this thing for a little bit, and Quest Love. There, there were some major heavy hitters, uh, musician-wise, in this film. ASAP Rocky was in it. It was Danger Mouse, Pharrell Williams. It's like, how did they get all these people? Yeah, and again, I'm just telling people, watch this movie, and if you can somehow get your hands on the deleted scenes. I know most of them are on YouTube, but there's a couple scenes in this movie that are even funnier than the stuff in the movie, especially that F-Off video, which is hilarious. Yeah, I gotta watch. I didn't even know about that. I gotta... Oh boy, I guess I'm going to put away some time for that one. It's great. I think it's even better than the Bin Laden song. And that's high, high, as Nicolas Cage would say, that's high praise. <laughs> you sold me, sir. You sold me. <laughs> All right. So, again, I want to thank you for stopping by. Why don't you give people uh, a plug on where they can reach you, how they can hear more of you or about your SNL podcast? Uh, sure thing. If you want to listen to my uh, podcast I do with John Trumbull, SNL Nerds. You could find us on uh, Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and they can follow us on Twitter at SNL Nerds Show. Uh, we're also on the Nonproductive Network, which is like a network out here in Jersey that does like a lot of geek culture stuff. So, you know, we have podcasts about uh, collecting and comic books and Marvel and just anything nerds love. And you could so you can you can listen to the podcast at non-productive.com. Uh, if you want to follow me on Twitter. I'm at Darren Credible. That's D-A-R-I-N Credible. Same handle on Instagram. And uh, you can check me out, uh, my dates, on, at DarrenCredible.com if you want to see uh, my stand-up comedy. All right. Again, yeah, thank you for joining me. And again, for everyone, my name is Mario Lanza. This is Staff Picks. If you need to reach me, you can reach me at StaffPicksPodcast at gmail.com or on Twitter at Mario J. Lanza. And until next time, I'll be out there searching for more movies that deserve more love, and I'll be trying to find somebody interesting to come on and talk about them. Until then, be good to each other. Peace. Here we go. Conquest a Triumph. That's a good one. Let me read it. This is on The Onion. So, you know, mixed. Let's call it mixed reviews.